This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. Our goal is to compete and, and really put a fun team on the court that really gets after it. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. We're very talented. I mean, we can go out there and compete at a high level and give a lot of effort. We can be a good team. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media, all Houston. Houston, all original. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked On Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. And joining us each and every week, as he does by way of the Locker Room app, is none other than the Athletics Ali Khan Bijani. What's up, Ali Khan? Hey, everybody. How y'all doing today? Happy Tuesday. Happy almost end of the, end of the month. Um, happy game, pregame, um, I guess before Wednesday's game. Just happy to be here, guys. It's a, it's a good day today. I don't like the fact that you spend the time when I'm doing ad reads clowning me in the in the locker room chat. That's uh, it's a little mean. I'm just going to throw that out there, Ali Khan. It's not cool, man. I'm, Jackson, the, cha- the, cha- the chat is, is already talking about caramel, too. <laughs> the chat, the chat's already bringing up caramel from last week, which is amazing. So you know what? I'm going to be sure to talk about salted caramel built bars uh, a little bit later on in the episode. But we've got a great episode planned out for you guys. Um, as always, if you want to jump up, if you want to comment on something, you know, ask us a question, maybe voice your opinions on something. Don't be afraid. Don't be a stranger. Hit the speaker request button. We'll pull you up on stage. But first things first, Alicon, let's talk because I, w- I want to focus a little bit on some terminology that was thrown around in the game against Miami Heat. And this was actually some terminology that I picked up from you earlier this season was when defenses, you know, work to essentially establish their their half-court defense or form their shell defense, you know, throughout the course of a game. And we were listening to Craig Ackerman, Matt Buller, talking about the Miami Heat and the fact that they build their defense outward. So schematically... What does that mean to you? How can you break that down for us when you have a team like the Heat who build their defense outward to limit touches or opportunities in the paint as much as possible for opposing teams? Yeah, you know, shell defense is actually a very common term that we use that's used around the league. Um, and, and think I like to give um, a visual to you guys. Think about it as a wall, right? When you're think about it as five guys making a wall around the free throw line or just around that inside the paint area, closing off the basket. They're all in unison, kind of making sure that they're, you know, take their, not only staying, keeping the ball in front, but they are staying between the, the offensive player and the basket themselves. And what a shell allows you to do is it's basically like your basic shell, your basic form of defense. So in case one defender steps out and the defender is ready to kind of fill up that void, fill up that gap, fill up that space. Um, and when you are building a defense outward, you're making sure that your perimeter players are always ensuring that they're not giving up gaps or lanes in the paint. That when one gap is when 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 one player steps up as a defender to go towards an offensive player, the gap that they're leaving 
is closed by somebody else and the other gaps in unison are rotated upon. So, so that's what that means. The Miami Heat are very good. I would like to also use the example of the Utah Jazz and Los Angeles Lakers, who I think also have great shell defenses. Los Angeles Clippers in particular. Um, I think if you're a Rockets fan, the best example of a shell defense from an opposing team to even look at is from previous seasons is when James Harden was going nuclear and the Clippers would have four guys pretty much at each corner of the free throw line and one guy at the top of the key. And they were all kind of moving in unison, trying to take away the perimeter shots, but also the um, points in the paint as well. That's what that is. As an opposing offense, it's really up to you to move the ball, move side to side, get the defense moving so you can find those gaps and take advantage of those gaps. You saw that with the Rockets against Miami. You try to see Olenek and Wood get into the middle of the floor and then be able to use their drive and kick offense, get that penetration and find open shooters. It did work. They weren't able to knock down as many shots as, as you know, they were able to create open, but it's a good way for the Rockets to practice as they kind of improve their roster get shooter that hey you know what this rockets offense is getting into that uh, drive and kick side and side action kind of kick and roll a uh, pick and roll kind of action so it's good it's good to see from from the rockets perspective of things and talking about their it, we've we've kind of talked about their defensive struggles in previous episodes previous locker mm-hmm. rooms and Steven Silas kind of talked post-game after the loss against Miami Heat, talking about leverage, um, using that terminology when talking about the Rockets' defense. So can you illuminate us, Ali Khan, on on their, I guess, beliefs when it comes to what their version of their shell defense is and what that term leverage means that Steven Silas was talking about after the Miami Heat loss? Yeah, it's, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, even besides the technical aspects is about staying in front. And some of it's technique, it's getting down to a stance. Some of it's closeouts. I mean, the way the Rockets play is they are helping on these deep paint positions. For example, if Christian Wood is matched up against a stronger paint presence, you're obviously going to have somebody from the near side or the weak side rotate over to either double or kind of stunt and help inside the paint. And when that happens, you're going to have a situation where you have rotations and closeouts. And unfortunately, because of the lack of practice time the Rockets have had, they haven't been able to work on their closeout stances too much. And and the NBA closeouts are everything. It's it's the difference between letting a shooter knock a good shooter knock in an open shot versus making them drive inside the paint if they're not that good with the ball in their hands. And so so you're starting to see the Rockets with more game action and game time together be able to make better defensive decisions. And and it's not something that not this one player on the roster has to work on. Every player on the roster has this to be able to work on. Even a guy like Jay Sean Tate, who we discussed previously as somebody who needs to work on his closeouts, he even told me last week when I asked him, what is one area you would like to improve on defensively? He said his closeouts, getting better there. And, and, and I think as a team, that's when they get better at closeouts, you'll see a much better job by them of kind of staying in the string defensively and getting to the rotations. It's not about the first move they make, whether that's that first switch they do and they kind of are physical with the switch or that first blitz they do when they blitz the ball handler. It's about everything else. Are they in a position to help and be able to rotate? You know, the, the issue doesn't come whenever, you know, you're attacking the ball. The issue comes when the ball leaves and, and then it goes into a rotation. Are you able to work on your techniques to be able to rotate effectively? And that's going to be the Rockets next step. 
We started this thing off talking about defense. We're going to talk about offense coming up here in just a second. We're going to talk about uh, Kevin Porter Jr., his usage rate, some of the uh, the highs, some of the lows. We'll talk about Armani Brooks and his presence so far as a Houston Rocket, a very welcome sight on a two-way deal. But first, we got to get to our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week, who is none other than Kelly Olenek. Over the last week, four games, the chief resident of the Olenek Clinic is averaging 20.5 points, 7.8 rebounds, 2 assists, and 1.3 steals on 62% shooting and 53% from deep. Numbers almost better than Michelob Ultra, only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Kelly Olenek has scored in double figures every single outing as a Houston Rocket. He's out there enjoying himself and the freedom that he gets offensively in Steven Silas's system. At the end of the day, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. So why not enjoy a Michelob Ultra while Kelly Olenek continues to prove that the that Rafael Stone actually won the Victor Oladipo trade? Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? Kelly Olenek has played out of his mind since becoming a Houston Rocket, but especially these past few games. And that's why he is your Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Did you know that you can get more of the sports news that you need in less time with our brand new Locked on Today podcast? Peter Bukowski hosts Locked on Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news that you need in just under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked on Today wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. We're right now doing this podcast live by way of the Locker Room app with the app. Athletics, Ali Kambijani. So, Ali Khan, let me steer. Let me let you steer the bus for a moment. Do you want to talk? You want to talk Kevin Porter Jr. first, or do you want to talk Armani Brooks first? Where do you want to go? Let, let, let's do Armani. I think that's where we cut off. All right, cool. Um, so, as I was trying to tee up before our uh, our technical issues, uh, Armani was a guy that we spent a little bit of time talking about. We kind of saw some actions for him in that Phoenix Suns game, and he's a guy who his shooting has been you know, such a welcome sight for this Rockets team. And I think that the Rockets haven't, it's not that they haven't had, you know, some sharpshooters kind of waiting in the wings on this roster this season. Obviously, Ben McLemore coming back in after making, you know, kind of having a resurgent season last year, and then things just didn't quite work out with him this time around. And then the same can be said for Mason Jones, who looked really promising early on. Um, People were calling him, you know, baby Harden before Kevin Porter Jr. became a Houston Rocket. And then unfortunately, I think something that we saw with both of those guys is they just had issues on the court that, uh, you know, whether it be confidence issues for Mason Jones, who just didn't seem like he could consistently get his own shot off, uh, or Ben McLemore, who had some defensive struggles and wasn't able to stay on the court because of that. Armani Brooks has really shown, I guess, a confidence in himself and in his shot in this short stint with the Rockets so far. Um, before the Miami Heat game, he was shooting over 50% from behind the arc, and then he went 2 of 11 against the Miami Heat, so uh, he kind of tanked his three-point percentage in that game. But the fact that he was willing to get 11 attempts up says something, right? We were clamoring for Mason Jones to be more aggressive, to work on getting looks, to not shy away from shooting the basketball when he was getting those limited minutes earlier this season with the Rockets. And so to see Armani Brooks kind of rise to that occasion and not be afraid of the moment has been a welcome sight. But kind of schematically, what are we seeing out of Armani Brooks? What are you seeing out of the ways that the Rockets are utilizing him? Especially, I think, you know, highlighting that one play from the Phoenix Suns game, right? That that ATO play uh, where he caught the ball off the inbounds, and then I think it was like a, just a quick dribble handoff um, to get a wide-open look. What are you noticing about his play so far? So our Locked On listeners 
I brought up a, a couple of good nicknames that I want to say. Uh, first is by Carly, R Money Brooks. I like that. Oh, and that's then, good. That's good. And then Dia, and then Diego was like all money books. Both of them are pretty good. I like the use of the money, so that's really nice. Um, now, but wait, 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 wait. This is this is very important. What's better, either of those, or a Linux clinic? Oh my god! I think <laughs> a Linux clinic is like the OG. Like locked on, you, you made this nickname together. That uh, I think that's always gonna have, kind of have its like a. Uh, um, the top feel, but I really, really like the money aspect. I like both. I think Carly did a great job of still keeping the name in there with the R money, but then all money is still really good too. So that's a tough, that's a tough pick. They're, bo- they're both very, very good. All right. Well, I'm uh, glad we got that settled. Obviously, Olenek Clinic remains the goat. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's the standard, guys, when we're coming up with nicknames is Olenek Clinic. That's the bar. Okay. You know, they're, they're using this on the Rockets broadcast, right? Like, you, you guys know that, right? So, oh, you know, yeah. what, what starts at Locked On changes the world, you know? So, you know, just keep that in mind. Absolutely. We've got close ties with both Craig Ackerman and Matt Bullard. Great guys. So, <laughs> all right, man. Let's get, so let's, let's talk okay. about Armani Brooks. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to Armani, one thing I've really liked about him is that he, his willingness to not only look for a shot and be aggressive, but he's always spacing. And what I mean by that is whenever you're playing in this Rockets offense, it's all about that five out. It's all about spacing. And even if you come off a screen and that play's not there, you should not stop where you are as a shooter. You should go and fill that void or that gap or that corner that's missing. And that's exactly what Armani does. They'll start possessions off early in transition, having him come off a pin down or a curl. If he doesn't get the ball because they've you know you know stepped up and taken away the three pointer, he gives the ball back up to the ball handler and goes and respaces, starts to get an open shot out of a driving kick. I mean, he's just done a great job of playing within the offense. One thing I would like to see better of him though is that you know the way teams are playing him, they're 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 over, they're overloading his shoulder. And what I mean by that is shooting shoulder. What I mean by that is that they're taking away that open shot, that ability to kind of contort his body and and kind of put up a three he's able to do that but if that's the case he has to create leverage and attack on closes i think that's his next step um as he kind of goes into his offseason making sure that he's quick um in his decision making but also able to attack attack closeouts against defenders and get to the rim he's able to do that i would like to see that with more consistency but what's been great for the rockets though is that opposing defenses are treating him like a sharpshooter and you're able to do a lot of great different things. One action the Rockets like to run is empty. And what I mean by that is there's only, you know, one guy, you know, on, on one. There's two there's two players on, on, on the side of the court, you know, playing pick and roll. There's, because of that, there's no corner shooter. So there's no defender who's able to kind of rotate over easy and help. So what the Rockets are doing, they're running actions where they're having Armani Brooks come from that empty corner and kind of set a screen or come, kind of come off a pin down. And if that's not there then you have an easy kind of switch for a big who's setting the screen on a, on a, on a smaller defender inside the paint. Um, no, there was a play that Jackson was alluding to in, in, in the Phoenix game where it was an after timeout. It was a beautiful after timeout by Steven Silas. But what I really like is the use of Armani Brooks, that they're having him pretend he's setting a down screen. They come off a screen by Christian Wood to get a three. And if you look at it, two of the defenders who were on the ball were so focused on Armani Brooks as how well he was shooting the ball. They screwed up the switch and allowed Kelly Olenek at that point, who was the big, to be able to get leverage inside the paint and have an easy score over a smaller defender. And so those are the types of things, if you have shooting, you're able to do. And so when, when 
People talk about Steven Sauce's offense. He has so many great innovative things he wants to put in, but it helps if he has the personnel to do so. And I think having Armani Brooks learn and get this playing time is going to give him another, another type of weapon um, to be able to do these things with and kind of will hopefully prove to Rockets fans that, hey, if you give Steven Salas shooting, he's going to put them in the right spots to be successful. I'm definitely I, I also want to highlight the fact that he's also had a few possessions where he's been, you know, the, the defense is, you know, closed out on him. And I think one thing, again, we were seeing with Mason Jones is just as soon as the defense closed out on him, he didn't quite have the the burst or the, the lateral quickness yeah. to create his own opportunity outside of that. We've seen a couple moments where the defense is successfully closed out on Armani and he's, you know, kind of started that dribble penetration move and then gone into a step back and risen up for a three-pointer. And his his shooting form is just so fluid. Um, Itamar was talking about it the other day on Twitter, how he just has such a clean looking jump shot. Like it's just such a beautiful form, the way he rises up and pulls the trigger. And it's just a quick release. So he doesn't give opposing teams the chance to recover after that initial closeout, which is just really nice to see after and kind of a nice change of pace from what we got with Mason Jones. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's going to come more with time, kind of picking his spots. But one thing I really like about Armani Brooks is that he's trying his best defensively too. You can tell he's trying to get into a stance. He's trying to um, stay in front of his defender. And even though he's not there yet defensively, the fact that he's trying and he's putting in the effort, trying to understand who he's going against and who's in front of him. I mean, there was a couple of plays in Miami where he was defending Goran Dragic. And I know Goran is a much better ball handler and playmaker, but there were possessions where he tried his best. He stood his ground and he gave up a contested shot, a couple contested shots to Goran made, but it just gives you confidence if you're a Rockets fan that, hey, this guy is trying and he could possibly be a good kind of two-way role player for them. There was one specifically where Goran managed to drive in and he actually beat Armani Brooks off the off the dribble, um, but Armani was able to recover and get back in, get back in in time to contest, uh, you know, a really yes. kind of a tough, you know, mid range fadeaway from Goran Dragic, who made the shot. And you know, sometimes you you just have to tip your cappy for the defender, but to see that effort level, like you were highlighting, um, to see him be able to make that recovery and get back into a proper defensive stance and actually contest the shot even after being beat, um, that's something we've highlighted from Jay Sean Tate earlier this season, where even though there might be possessions where Jay Sean Tate gets beat by the the initial, you know, move by the offensive player, he's still able to recover and get back into a position where he can either contest the shot or at times even, you know, successfully block the shot or, or force a uh, a really tough attempt from the opposing team. Yeah, you know, what's I'm gonna just throw a couple a couple of statistics out there just to kind of help validate our points even more. He's attempted 38 um, 38 shots from three. Okay, uh, on those attempts, you know, he, he's um, I mean, sorry, no, that's all incorrect. Sorry. He's attempted 32 of his 38 shots from three. And that kind of goes back to my point that when teams are stepping up and taking away those shots, he has to be able to attack off of those closeouts. Yes, he's shooting 40, 41% from three, but when teams are playing that aggressively on your shooting shoulder, you have to be able to make a move and create leverage for yourself and attack a closeout if they're playing hard on closeouts too. Um, and, and one last thing I want to mention, which I thought was a really interesting stat, He's attempted 13 three-pointers, I think, in his first six games. That is the most by a Rocket through the first six games of their of Rockets career. So so he's off to a good start. You know, they clearly look at him as a sharpshooter. He's put in some time. The next step for him is just going to be all these things we talked about. And also, you know, being somebody who can be reliable. I think Silas has he's proven to Silas that he can reliably knock down shots. And if he's not at least making it, like, he didn't make all the shots he did like he did in Miami. But if he's not making shots like he did in Miami, at least put in the effort defensively and, and, and provide spacing for your offense. 
Absolutely. Now, do want to still get to Kevin Porter Jr., talk about some of his uh, his usage numbers uh, throughout this season since he joined the Rockets. Also want to talk a little bit, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the Steph Curry-James Harden discourse, which is a bit of a surprise topic, but we're going to talk about that in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Now, look, if you've never had a protein bar that you've actually like enjoyed, right? You sat down and you're like, I'm looking forward to this protein bar. You've got to check out Built Bar. They have so many amazing, delicious flavors, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, salted caramel. You just can't go wrong with any one of their flavor options. And the best thing about these bars, right? They're soft. They're easy to chew. They're covered in 100% delicious chocolate. They're low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Great. Amazing. If you're on a keto diet and you can check them out, just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-15, and you'll get 15% off your very next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Another quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Look, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be done for, but NBA is going strong. We got playoffs right around the corner. Not so much for the Rockets, unfortunately. Uh, NHL's going strong, and MLB just started back up. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. You can get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has it covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's totally free to sign up. So head over to their website and sign up today using promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And rolling into our final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with Locked on NBA Draft podcast. They've got scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and more four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked on NBA Draft. Rounding things out with the Athletics' Ali Kambijani right here by way of the Locker Room app with our wonderful audience who I haven't even gone back to the chat yet because I'm sure Ali Khan is clowning me about ad reads. Um, let's talk Kevin Porter Jr. and his usage statistics because one of the areas that we've been spending a lot of time talking about is can Kevin Porter Jr. coexist specifically with John Wall but in, in more of a broader term you know, can he coexist with, you know, any other ball-dominant players? Because I think we've seen that when Kevin Porter Jr. gets the ball in his hands more frequently, when he has the keys to the offense, when he doesn't have to share those duties with somebody else, he looks better. He looks more confident. He looks more comfortable out there on the court. And so oh, I was keys, interested. Keys, keys. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> God. Anyways, so with with Kevin Porter Jr., um, I took a look at his five highest usage games this season, as well as his five lowest usage games this season. So in his five highest usage games, uh, with an average of a 29.3% usage rating, he's averaging 21.8 points and 5.6 assists on uh, 56% true shooting percentage, which is pretty good. Those are really solid numbers. But in his five lowest usage games this season, He's all the way down to 9.2 points and 4.4 assists on just 34% true shooting. So, Ali Khan, what have you 
been noticing about Kevin Porter Jr., especially in some of these games, right, where I'm sure it's got to be difficult to have some games where, hey, John Wall's playing, so you're not going to be in charge of the offense as much tonight versus, oh, hey, there's no John Wall. So, you know, again, here's the keys, keys, keys to, um, you know, to steer the ship. What are you noticing about Kevin Porter Jr.? I think this is going to be a great experience for him to learn how to really play alongside another ball, dominant ball handler because odds are the way the draft is set up and the top prospects, the, the type of play the Rockets will get will be somebody who will require the ball in their hands too. And he's going to have to learn how to play alongside with somebody else, and especially in this case, John Wall, who is technically at this point the engine of their offense. He has to be able to learn how to balance and play alongside that type of talent and that type of scoring the type of ball handling now you're absolutely right when his usage rate is high and he has the ball in his hands he's a lot more committed you can tell he's a lot more engaged he's a lot more focused not just on offense but on defense as well and i think that's going to be the thing for him to continue to work on and that's something that i've asked coach um steven sauce about I'm like you know what can you do whenever he has an off game like what can you do he's like you know continue to coach him um and he's repeatedly told me that kevin porter jr is uh, always 100% coachable, that he enjoys working with him. And that it's all about kind of just showing, going through a film, showing what he's doing right, showing what he's doing wrong, and just helping him get better. You know, it, it, it's talked about a lot. I think people sometimes just forget when it comes to Kevin Porter Jr. compared to the average NBA uh, rookie second year, early early career player. He's only 20 years old. You know, he's moved to a new city. He's He's in a completely different environment. He has the people around him to be successful, and he's learning. And it's just going to take some time for him to do that. But that still doesn't kind of allow us to not talk about the fact that, you know, he does seem disengaged sometimes when the ball is not in his hands. And he also does have situations where if he misses a shot or he doesn't get the ball during the positions or if he gets it too late and he puts up a bad shot and it misses, you know, he he does not get back on defense. And those are the things that you have to continue to work on and get better at for your for, for you to not only become a star or potentially a superstar um, of a team, but also to ha- become a leader of the franchise. I mean, I think he has what it takes to be a leader eventually, but you know, t- you know, he's 20 years old. It's going to take time, but these are baby steps. He has to continue to take for, for his game and for the Rockets to continue to get better. Is there something that could be said, Alicon, possibly for the fact that, you know, and this was something that I alluded to very early on when we first kind of started seeing these, um, these growing pains, I guess, because obviously Kevin Porter Jr. kind of got to, uh, he just got kind of thrown into the fire, uh, brought up from the G League. John Wall missed the opening of the second half of the season post All-Star break. So we got to see full-blown, you know, uh, unleashed Kevin Porter Jr. with no, uh, not being inhibited by having to share the court with John Wall for a few games. Now, is there something to be said for the fact that potentially this could be viewed as a way, and maybe the coaching staff is also viewing this as a way to help grow his ability to be more comfortable off the ball without the ball in his hands? Obviously, I think we've seen him being more comfortable or more effective with the ball in his hands, but should this be viewed as an opportunity for him to be used more as an off-ball threat? Similar, not, maybe not you know quite as similar to like Armani Brooks you know, running off pin downs and whatnot, but maybe that's something that they could experiment with moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's just going to take time for their offense. You know, one thing that's really something I want to point out is I know I just it seemed like I was bashing. I promise I'm not trying to bash a player. I, I I'm in awe of their talents. I'm just kind of talking about his growth as a player and kind of what those steps are. You know, all respect, all, full respect to Kevin Ford Jr. I think he's a phenomenal player. Um, and I want to highlight this for him. Um, he had he only had four turnovers total in that back to back with Miami and Orlando. Now that may seem like oh that's still four. I mean that's a good that's a that's really good because he was averaging four 
per game the past the previous 10 games before the back-to-back um and and that's big and one of those games was he was by himself the other game he was playing with John Wall but I really did see him you know space better off the ball um there were situations last week where you know he gave up the ball and then he just stood there and then he didn't move anywhere else until he got the ball back late in the shot clock Nick no like that should not be happening you should always space the floor even if you know you're getting the ball back towards the top of the key area go to the slot where you know you know, if there is a pass out and one of your teammates is able to break down the defense, you have a catch-and-shoot opportunity. Like, those are the small things like he'll continue to get better at off the ball. But there are also things I'm noticing that, you know, he's made mistakes before. But it is promising to see, like I said, that Orlando game, the Miami game, he's looking better off the ball. But, you know, more importantly, when he's playing alongside a dominant ball handler, the fact that he can still get to his moves, play at his speed, and learn how to, you know, the way John Wall plays, John Wall likes to control the offense. The fact that Kevin Porter Jr. showed great maturity in the Miami game and starting to play better alongside of him and still get to kind of where his pace is in a half-court setting was a great sign. I think that's something Rockets fans should be happy about moving forward. I think there were there were specifically a couple possessions. Uh, I, I know one of them was facilitated by John Wall, a catch-and-shoot three for Kevin Porter Jr. out of one of the corners, and then he had another one uh, a few possessions later out of the opposite corner. I can't remember if... I know one of them for sure was facilitated on a pass by John Wall. I'm not sure about if the second one also was that, but it's those opportunities there where he's able to kind of feed directly off of John Wall um, that, you know, hopefully can can be these, you know, kind of growing opportunities moving forward. But we did have a really good question here um, from Norman in the chat, so I want to highlight this. <laughs> if you were in Chris Brickley's uh, shoes, so one of the Rockets trainers, how would you approach... Uh, KPJ's training plan this offseason, um, specifically Norman highlighting that Brickley tried to prep uh, Rockets legend Carmelo Anthony for a catch-and-shoot role as opposed to you know his traditional play style. I, I don't want to give you a cop-out answer, but I think it's really just going to depend on what their plan is, not only for John Wall, but also with who they draft moving forward. That's really going to kind of take it, give us an idea of what their plan is for Kevin Porter. And they keep saying he, they want him to be a primary ball handler which he is when he plays alongside John Wall, you know, the words have been used. He's a secondary ball handler. You know, he, you know, he's playing alongside John Wall in that case, you know, as a ball handler, you have to be able to make good reads. He can make all the reads there is as a point guard. The next step for him is to be decisive and be smart about the reads he's going to make, continue to cut down on those, cut down on those turnovers, but also be good at getting inside the paint and finishing. He has a tendency sometimes when he gets to the paint that he'll hesitate a little bit, he can't do that. He has to be quick and decisive. And, and you know, and I'm I'm honestly being very picky. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is a great talent, but that consistency needs to be there. I think that consistency is definitely one thing where he can work on this offseason. Well, you know, with that, I think that, you know, I kind of want to, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna save the uh we're going to save the Harden Steph Curry discourse for uh, for Locked On Rockets after dark, as well as our secret topic. Um, so if you're if you're missing out on the show, if you didn't tune in live, a reminder that Ali Khan and I do this show every single week live through the Locker Room app at 9 p.m. Central on Tuesday evening. So be sure to check us out next week. But if you're here with us in the locker room right now, be sure to stick around for Locked On Rockets after dark. Uh, but for today's episode, that is going to do it. So as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.